1: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Don't hate the player, hate the game. chosen one.
0: You simply have a shame high five! What time is it? You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 169. Nice. And it's the 2023 Halloween Spooktacular. And today I'm joined by a first time guest here on the show. He is one of the hosts of the Days of Thunder podcast, also on the VOW network. It's Dave Ryan. Hello, Dave.
0: Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, As one half of the Statler and Waldorf of World Championship Wrestling, uh, (laughs) I am very happy to be called upon for such a seasonal special. Yes, we'll get to that.
1: Don't you worry. Uh, (laughs) But um, I'm glad you're here. Definitely. Um, It's funny. I had actually asked uh, your podcast partner, Lee Malone, to come on for this. But um, he told me that if he did any more podcasts this week, his wife would kill him. So, you know, in the interest of Lee's health and his marriage, uh, I have brought on the other Days of Thunder host instead. So welcome, Dave.
0: (laughs) That uh, that Lee Malone is like a candle in the wind. Unreliable.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, um... Since it's your first time on the show here, Dave, I'll ask you this: um, How did you become a
0: wrestling fan? How did you get into it? Oh, so I, I've I've kind of gotten into the story a little bit sometimes on Days of Thunder, where I think like a lot of people who grew up in the '90s, it's hard to pinpoint an exact time when. I know l- talking to relatives of mine who were super into wrestling, I I I as a toddler bore witness to Macho Man Randy Savage's wedding at SummerSlam. But I have no memory of this. Uh my first solid memory of wrestling is Sean coming down from the ceiling at WrestleMania 12. Um, and somehow after that match I stuck around uh <laughs> to be a fan for many years. I was definitely like solidly into it as part of my like weekly routine within a, a year or so after that, even if I can't pinpoint the time exactly. Um but it's just always been with me, um, as long as I can remember, because WrestleMania 12, I would have been about six years old, seven years old. So it's, uh, it, it's never left me since then. And, you know, it's kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. Like, I was just watching WWF for the first couple of years. Then I got wind that this other company, WCW, were on after the Cartoon Network ended uh, over here. So I was watching uh, Nitro and Thunder then until I think about maybe the end of 2000 it went off those channels over here um and then i kind of would have picked up some tna over the 2000s and you know it's been kind of up and down based on my my access to it over the years but uh i you know it's been uh, nearly 30 years now of 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 watching wrestling to some extent
1: Mm,
0: and and has music played a big
1: part in your fandom over the years as well
0: yeah i think like when i evaluate wrestling as an experience i try to look of it look at it as you know the whole picture that uh, there are times where i've in my personal tastes favored kind of you know work rate or you know guys who can who guys who can talk and and things like that but I've, i've i've always considered as part of the whole experience music to be a really integral factor for me um, there are definite key moments in my fandom that I can tie wrestling music to. Um, I, I, I told a story once, I can't remember if it was on air or not, about my 13th birthday. And I remember it was my, th- no, sorry, my 12th birthday. I remember it distinctly because just before we left, we were watching the edition of WWF Livewire where the stalker was revealed to be Diamond Dallas Page. Ah. Uh, And when we went to do laser tag for my birthday that day, the person running the laser tag put on WWF The Music Volume 5 to soundtrack our experience, which was just a phenomenal time. I have great memories of um, taking road trips down to family. Uh, over one particular summer uh, down in Cork at the south of Ireland, uh, listening to Forcible Entry, uh, that that album, that incredibly named album, <laughs> um, over and over and over again. So it's always been part and parcel, especially then when I kind of got older and was going to shows more regularly. I think particularly the live experience is enhanced by great music just this past summer going to um, all in and Wembley and hearing seek and destroy uh, being played for sting and Darby's entrance might have been my my personal highlight of the whole experience, to be honest.
1: <laughs> I'm just picturing a, a young Dave at laser tag. Well, you know, Get route is playing or, yeah. or or or,
0: or pie. Yeah. one of those songs, you know. So <laughs> the two the two particular moments of weirdness were Kurt Angle's theme, metal and um and pie. It was the the rhythm of the laser tag changed somewhat during those. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Well,
1: Well, today, uh, Dave, we are doing our annual Halloween Spooktacular episode of the show. We do it every year. And uh, whenever I do it, I like to ask the guest, you know, when you were a kid watching wrestling, were there ever any wrestlers or moments that scared you? Not like a botch or a scary injury, but like a a creepy angle or some such.
0: I've always been somebody that kind of I love horror and, and spooky things, whereas it very rarely actually would would scare me. And the era I kind of grew up watching, so you're talking Attitude Era, um, you know, end of new generation into the Attitude Era, like the, the, the spooky gimmick that obviously comes to mind is Undertaker, especially during kind of Ministry of Darkness uh, era Undertaker. And, like, I, I don't think any of that stuff, whether he was sacrificing humans on Raw or or getting <laughs> involved in, you know, trying to marry Stephanie or anything like that. Um, Crucifying Austin. I, that, the whole King yeah, of Boodle there, yeah. I don't think any of that came off particularly scary to me. Um, like, not necessarily hokey either at that age, but just kind of, like, camp in a very wonderful way. Um, so I can't. And then, like, after that, kind of, you know, as an adolescent, you're talking some of the kind of most cringy, scary gimmicks. You're talking Boogeyman. Um, you're talking the zombie, uh, things like that. So I, much as, like, I have the twin loves of uh, of wrestling and horror, I don't think I came up in a particularly great time for it being effectively scary.
1: <laughs> well, since you host a WCW Thunder podcast, I can imagine... Just the terrifying sights that you have witnessed over the years. I mean, there have been many times where I see you or Lee posting in Slack or Discord where you're like, you know, oh, my God, this is awful. I can't take it anymore. Please make it stop. Oh, God, no. (laughs) I mean, the the sheer dread in your words and having to watch, you know, a Vincent match or whatever, it's, it's quite apparent, Dave.
0: Yeah, that's like at the end of the day, you can do all the scary gimmicks you want, but I have seen true horror (laughs) in my day and we've still got the worst of it ahead of us. We're in that kind of um, summer before Russo arrives. So we're kind of like at the tail end of the Nash booking era where like things are really bad but they're about to be kind of turbocharged uh by the arrival of russo within a couple of months and uh we're going to have some of the great uh, terrible spooky angles of all time. We're going to have Dale Torborg lost in a graveyard in a in a year or so so I'm I'm looking forward to all that.
1: Mm, yes the uh the lovecraftian horrors that await you in 2000 WCW I mean oh boy <laughs> strap <laughs> in just to strap in my friend but um But anyway, uh, for this year's Halloween Spooktacular, Dave, we have you on for a very good reason. That's because we're doing a special version of it. Um, We're still just doing five songs like normal, but we're going to talk about songs from one promotion only, and that promotion is, of course, WCW. Um, Now, we've played a bunch of Halloween-centric WCW themes on the show before. Uh, Mortis, Glacier, The Kiss Demon, Seven. But this episode, we are devoting the entire thing to WCW, and... These themes may not necessarily be, you know, spooky per se, but the gimmicks themselves are quite wacky and colorful and befitting the very over-the-top nature of the Halloween season. And um, as we all know, uh, Dave, uh, WCW had more than its fair share of wacky, over-the-top characters, that's for sure.
0: For sure, um, it, there is maybe no better company to find a marriage of uh, absolutely insane gimmicks and um, music that could potentially be the subject of lawsuits or uh, <laughs> just just interesting music in one way or another. Um, it's one of the things that makes me so sad at something that Lee often harps on on the show is like what Peacock and the WWE Network have done to all that legacy WCW music um that we we kind of try to talk about what the original song sounded like when the opportunity presents themselves um like goldberg has just started coming out to mega death now in where we are in our timeline and wwe have done a fairly patchy job of scrubbing that out um sometimes it's left in their whole cloth sometimes it's edited over with the wwe version of goldberg's music and it's that is maybe truly the scariest thing of all (laughs) um but yeah it's a company that was really again like i kind of said to you it's it's never a company with nothing to talk about there's between the gimmicks and and the music there's plenty to dig into there i think Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, as someone who read a lot of Russell crap back in the day, I mean, that website is just paved yes. with so many bad WCW gimmicks. And yeah, they are a very uh, obvious and direct point of mockery and ridicule and, and blame for why WCW went down. But it wasn't just the gimmicks, you know, it was, it was the booking. It was the management it was wrestler egos it was the whole big package of what wcw became as you can attest to dave i'm sure as to why the company went down um and it's a shame too because until AEW came around there really wasn't that proper number two company in american wrestling i mean yeah there was tna of course but even at its biggest tna never reached the heights of what AEW has accomplished or what wcw did in its heyday dave you know
0: And I think you hit on it there that it's like, it's not necessarily any of the gimmicks or any individual storyline or any individual bit of music, even that we're going to talk about. I think it was accumulation of factors over many, many years. Right. Um that kind of it it makes it tough on a on the, the rewatch the way we do it because you're seeing individual left turns where they should have gone right and i was like if you had just done a minor course correction on this guy or on this angle or something like that and i think we oversimplify things when we look back in the past and like the popular thing now i think particularly among younger fans or people who haven't gone back in a deep dive is like oh when russo came in that was that was the end of it then But what we're finding quite interesting is that I think it was probably already in the irreversible slide quite some time before Russo showed up. Not that he helped, uh, not that he should escape blame, um, but it was uh, it was a lot of things over a long period of time.
1: Yeah. If you think um, Vince Russo calling Hulk Hogan a big, bald son of a bitch was the death of WCW, it it just wasn't, I'm afraid. Um, It was, you know. Death by a Thousand Cuts, as the saying goes. But um, but hey, listen, we are here to celebrate, not to mourn. It's supposed to be fun. And you know what, Dave? These gimmicks may not be the classiest around, but we'll have some fun regardless, I think.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so let's get to these songs here. And uh, we have five as per usual, like I said. And um, we'll go in chronological order as well, uh, starting off with this fellow. In 91, uh, Brad Armstrong, the late Brad Armstrong, who had many a gimmick in WCW over the years. Uh, He was the Candyman. He was Bad Street. He was B.A., Buzzkill. But in this case, we're talking about when he donned that iconic yellow and purple outfit to become the superhero Arachnaman, with his famous superpower of inciting legal action from Marvel Comics. Look at him go. And the Arachnoman theme is by Eric Kaspar from the Casinas Music Library. This is Rockman. So any potential legal issues aside here, um, I kind of dig this theme. You know, it's your standard rock and instrumental, but it does have that very upbeat, heroic tone to it. And it's really fast-paced and high energy as well. And as you have said before on the show here, if you're going for a superhero wrestler, that's what the song has to be, really, I think. Um, now, obviously, there are no lyrics here, but if there were, I think that might have made things a bit trickier with the legal department, you know. Arachna Man, Arachna Man, does whatever and Arachna can. You know, that, that would have made things a little bit uh, dicier, legally speaking. But um, otherwise, it's a good little song, Dave, I think.
0: Yeah, i I don't think it's... Um, it I was a good start because the, 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 the theme bangs like it's it's got a really crunchy riff there's some like there's this hints of van halen about the guitar soloing that's going on during it i really really like it um i had kind of expected when i went to sit down and listen to this like is this going to be just absolute carbon copy of the the animated spider-man uh theme song like how close are they going to get to this thing but it went a different way the actual uh intellectual property it was most evocative uh, for me of is uh, this would be the soundtrack to a great um, court in Windjammers. Uh, if you ever played the original Flying Disc game back, I think it was like was it Neo Geo uh, back in the day. That's like the, the kind of just it, that kind of a celebratory, like you said, heroic, be- almost beachy vibe. Uh, I was really digging it. Um, it was maybe the best thing about this gimmick.
1: Yeah, and uh it's funny, the song is called Rockman. You know, if they wanted to do a ripoff of the thing from Fantastic Four, Rockman would be the perfect name. You yeah. know, Rockman, uh Professor Z, Blue Cougar, Summer Marine, all the yeah. stars,
0: all the stars <laughs> are here. <laughs> yeah, and I just like uh trying to get in the the space of Brad Armstrong at the time, looking up pictures of the the Arachnoman suit like it is it was it was just asking to be sued like it's somewhere <laughs> halfway between like the og spider-man costume and like a baron zemo kind of thing and this is like if you're thinking about it it's like 91 92 isn't it
1: Yeah, mid to late ninety one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like a this is a Marvel that is way different from now. Where like Marvel now is probably too big to worry about petty lawsuits, but this was a Marvel that was like four years away from declaring bankruptcy. So (laughs) they were looking for settlements, and like this was not something that was gonna escape them. I imagine.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few matches of his cut out on YouTube, and um, you watch him come out for the entrance, and it's like you know he's built from Web City. And he does the thing that Serpentico does nowadays, where he shoots his hands out and the quote-unquote webs fly out. Right. Like, yeah, it's very charming in a way, but it's also very cheap-looking. Yeah. And the costume itself is is not good. It it looks to me like a mix between Corn of the Cob and King Mabel. That's the visual I get there, so... Yeah, I I could see why Marvel would poke their noses around at this guy. Yeah,
0: (laughs) it doesn't doesn't really fit great on him either. Um, And it's something I've noticed over the years in WCW as well Is that, like when you go below a certain level on the card, the significantly less effort is put into the gear (laughs) and everybody's wearing something that's either like too tight or too big. And it's weird because in WWF. A lot of people would wear stuff that was too small for them and they were absolutely bursting out of it. Which <laughs> if I was a wrestler, I'd think that was the way I'd want to go. Whereas a lot of um acts in WCW over the time we've been watching it have been going for stuff that's just like outright baggy on them. Um, which is very, very strange.
1: I will say though, Arachnaman very much a pioneer when it comes to wrestlers dressing up as superheroes, because nowadays, you know, there are so many wrestlers who come out with superhero themed gear and outfits like you know brian cage with the wolverine stuff and all the countless gargano superhero gears like it's it's endless nowadays so you know laugh all you want at arachnaman but the guy's a pioneer dave
0: i definitely got less second-hand embarrassment watching archival footage of arachnaman than i did when like ricochet was doing his nightwing oh right yeah yeah, that was a, a very memorable chapter in all our lives. With the full body um, suit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like a there there is a huge crossover between the comic book fan uh, and the wrestling fan. Um, and I totally get why you would want to kind of tap into that. And I think um someone who did it very well for a long time was Rey Mysterio because he would do oh, it yeah. as the kind of like the big WrestleMania gear would be Joker or whatever. Dare and Devil, then he just go- yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd do it for the big show and then he'd go back to normal, like his normal gear. It wouldn't be the gimmick he was then saddled with um, for a while. And I think that's, again... The thing you the, the balance you want to strike with wrestling fans who maybe aren't into comics and are like this is dumb after like two or three matches, <laughs> or the comic book fans who again after two or three matches of doing that just feel they're being pandered to. So I feel I feel for BA, we, we've talked about him a bunch on Days of Thunder, and he's a guy who I think was like just slightly not good enough in the ring. And then what really hurt him was him just having these gimmicks thrown at him. And just I and I couldn't I couldn't criticize him for being in the position where he just didn't say no to any of them, or at least it didn't see if those are the ones he said yes to. I'd hate to see the gimmicks he said no to.
1: <laughs> Listen, a gig's a gig, you know, I mean, it's it's a living, as the Flintstones would say. So, yeah.
0: Hey, look, he got a surprising amount of TV time through the end of the 1990s. So, like, you know, who might criticize his choices?
1: So we'll skip ahead now a few years to 1993. And uh, this wrestler, Dave. He's going to shock the world because he is the Shockmaster. Yes, good old Uncle Fred, good old Tugboat, good old Typhoon. And the Shockmaster theme is from the Coca Media Library. Uh, it's by Christian LaRue and Daniel Darris This is Guitar Error 1 slash Guitar Error 2 slash Guitar Error 3. has to be one of the strangest songs we've done on the show yet i think but um still it's oddly appropriate because after the infamous Shockmaster debut where he uh, you know fell in his fulcan arse as the bulldog said um they leaned into it and made him a klutz like he would run out and trip over the guardrail and whatnot and fall over so they made him a stumbling boob and really what better music to go along with that than you know, a series of purposely bad guitar playing. It's it's kind of perfect, Dave.
0: Yeah, he's very the, the way they did the gimmick after this is very reminiscent of. And this even for me is maybe a niche reference. There was a British sitcom in the seventies, I think, called Some Mothers Do Have Him that my my granddad used to watch. Uh, and as this actor Michael Crawford played a character Frank Spencer, who his whole thing was, yeah, he was like, what way can he put his foot in a bucket, fall off a ladder, go crashing through a window all sorts um and yeah that that is kind of where they tried to go with this um like again I, I i do much like with with ba in some ways i do feel bad for for old uncle fred but at the same time after that legendary debut this was maybe the only pivot that prolonged his uh his tv time um but the theme itself is bizarre it's um I, like, I would have called, I would have named it the 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 inelegant name of Guitar Errors One Through Three. Uh, <laughs> I would have called it the Cease and Desist Medley.
1: Uh, uh, yeah,
0: because I was able—I don't know about you—I was able to pick up strains of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, if you listen closely to the song, and you know your classic rock, each segment is trying to play an iconic guitar riff and screwing up each time. So the first one, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I believe it's Johnny B. Good by Chuck that's Berry. That's what it is. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, the second one, yeah, Day Tripper by the Beatles, and the third one is Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. So, technically speaking, the Shockmaster had Chuck Berry, the Beatles, and the Stones for entrance music. Technically speaking, so you know, good for him,
0: I guess. <laughs> I'd like to tot up how much using actual three songs would have cost them relative to Co- oh. coca have clearly done the uh the the mats here is like how much of these songs can we play before we start getting charged because particularly i think day tripper is not changed really at all uh from the like it is immediately recognizable as day tripper by the beatles at least satisfaction is a little bit uh, they've, they've done something there and same with uh chuck berry but a day tripper is just like, Oh my God. Like this is just literally the song.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, given how much it costs to license the Beatles for stuff, I, it's not cheap. Let me tell you. I mean, I remember when uh, mad men uh, used tomorrow never knows in an episode once, and that was a big deal because, you know, it's the Beatles and you don't hear them that often in movies and TV shows. Um, And apparently it took years to get it approved too. So yeah, whatever these guys did, Uh, changed it enough, made it short enough too. It's a pretty short track as well. Uh, Apparently it worked there, Dave.
0: Yeah. I think like at this time as well, um, it was only a few years after Michael Jackson had bought the Beatles library as well. That's right. Yeah. So uh, using Beatles music was contentious, you could say at best.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, By the way, I looked up some footage of Shockmaster using this song Uh, he comes out to it on Worldwide and Shivani goes is that you playing the guitar, Jess? and Jesse Ventura goes that's the sorriest interest music I've ever heard and Shivani goes yeah, I wonder who picked that out and it's like, oh poor Shockmaster, leave the man alone He suffered enough for God's sake, come on
0: yeah, God I hope he never watched back any of those shows, although I can't imagine what he would've (laughs) yeah So we
1: go now from the former typhoon to the former earthquake, John Tenta, who during his time in WCW started out as Avalanche. No legal troubles there, I'm sure. And then he was transformed by Kevin Sullivan into The Shark. And The Shark theme is by Jimmy Hart and Howard Helm. This is The Shark Theme. The thing about John Tenta, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes like a doll's eyes. Farewell and adieu to you fair Spanish. Lady. Oh, I'll stop. I'll stop. Um. So, it's written in the bylaws of pro wrestling that if you have a shark-themed wrestler of some sort, they need to have a song based on the music from Jaws. It just it is what it is, really, and yeah. that's what we have here. Um. Of course, like with the last song. Jimmy Hart made sure to change the notes just enough to not get sued, but still, look—it's the Jaws theme, okay? It's—it's it's one of the most iconic, ubiquitous pieces of music of all time. And again, when you have a shark wrestler, what's he gonna get? Shark music—that's that's the way it goes, there, Dave.
0: Yeah, you—you you kind of have to. It's the only one that's in your head uh, when you when you sit down at the desk to to mix a a shark themed wrestling song. I. And you know what? I'm kind of fine with it to an extent because I can't imagine the kind of the other option around this, like around the 90s would be for people to do like an under the sea ripoff. And, (laughs) you know, I'm actually okay with the Jaws theme. And I thought this one was like a prime cut of Jimmy Hart in as much as it's a song that is clearly screaming at you. This is the John Williams Jaws theme. But it is also like slightly its own thing as well. Like it, it, it does ride that line of legal trouble very well. Um, and I actually, I, you know, as far as songs on this list go, um, I thought it was is quite decent. Like I, I enjoyed it. The the one thing I think where they were feeling their oats a little bit too much is after maybe. 10 or 20 seconds of this, there's like a single discordant piano key that gets brought in at the end of every bar. And like hmm. it, to me, it's discordant in a way that's that's unpleasant, not in a like, ooh, this is chilling. John tends to come out and I assume eat me. Um it's in a way that's like that. Just doesn't sound that sounds grating on my ear. I, I could have done without that.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah there is that uh extra spooky element to this one mm. like it's not just the dun 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 there's also the creepy atmosphere to it as well with the keyboard swaths in the background there and the... like it's very mystical and it reminds me a lot of the music in the dungeon of doom theme which given the shark was in that stable it lines up there so yeah we don't just have a shark wrestler theme we have a dungeon of doom specific shark wrestler theme so they went
0: the extra mile there at least Dave. that's for sure yeah and i respect that a little bit of effort goes a long long way with these things Mm. and
1: uh speaking of shark wrestlers by the way uh shark boy the cult favorite uh, he was in late stage wcw Mm -hmm. actually and they reused this song for him because why not right (laughs) and in fact if you go on spotify and you look up the album, this song is on, uh, WWE, the music of WCW, The song is actually labeled Shark Boy. Um, but it was the shark man who used it first, goddammit, all right? Some some respect to Tenta, please, for God's sake.
0: Yeah, damn right. I think, like, one of the gr- the great joys of WCW is, one, the the recycle theme thing, which this is not an isolated incident of. Oh, no. Uh, no. But also the kind of... If you weren't someone who was around at the time and remembers, it will shock you. The people that start showing up in that company by the end, um, like even I suppose during Thunder, like we had a, a two Thunder run in nineteen ninety eight of seeing uh, Nick Dinsmore wrestle uh, on the program, and it just the uh, there are so many of those cases, and it just kind of the volume of that increases when you get towards 2000 and 2001 where. To say they have given up uh, (laughs) would be an understatement.
1: Yeah, you know, you look over there to your left and it's like there's Shima and Don Fuji. And on the right, there's Christopher Daniels. There's AJ Styles, who was in there at the end as part of Air Raid. Um, Miko Satomura had a match or two. Uh, Dragon Kid had a match or two. It's like the amount of people that wrestled in WCW at one point or another is staggering. Because, you know, it's not just Nitro and Thunder. You've got pro, you've got worldwide, you've got Saturday Night, you've got all these C shows that need wrestlers to fill out the programming. So yeah, the the alumni page of WCW is is quite long. Their day for sure.
0: Yeah, and like even then, not only because they have all those shows, but they have obviously dark matches on those shows there's an, there's like an additional layer of guys that's like oh my god like super dragon wrestled a tag match on a <laughs> on a you know a dark match on thunder what are you talking about um it's just a fascinating fascinating promotion mm.
1: well as far as the shark goes uh one more thing here it always makes me feel bad um hearing the story about uh, how tenta he had a tattoo in his arm of a tiger Because he went to Louisiana State University and their mascot's a tiger. And when they gave him the shark gimmick, he went to a tattoo parlor on his own volition and covered over the tattoo with a shark. And the gimmick ended up lasting only about a year. And he cuts that infamous, you know, I'm not a fish, I'm a man promo. So, you know, that's the chaotic nature of wrestling. Some gimmicks last a whole long time. Some just don't. But tattoos those are pretty permanent so you know I'll always feel bad for him in a way i want to hear that story there dave
0: is that a was that promo perhaps the the impetus for Derek zoolander's merman <laughs> who's to say john Tenta very influential but that is yeah that's commitment to a bit that i i can't I couldn't personally personally do myself. Um, I re- I respect the hell out of it. Not him trying to lobby WCW to make him into the original Tiger King, but uh, <laughs> to, to just go along with it and and cover over the tattoo. Uh, my my hats off to you. Can't say the man didn't try everything to make it work. Listen, he went back to the WWF after this, and he put on the Golga mask. He had the
1: Cartman doll, and he danced his ass off with of the oddities because. He loves this business so much there, Dave. God bless him. Big respect. Theme number four. And uh, speaking of the oddities, by the way, we're going to step into your neck of the woods here, Dave. 1999 WCW. Hell yeah. When a tag team from Detroit, Michigan arrived on the scene and took the promotion by storm. No, not the Steiners. I'm talking about Shaggy Two Dope and Violent J, the insane clown posse. And uh, what a shock. The ICP have a theme song by the ICP. How convenient. Uh, This is off of the album at WCW Mayhem the Music. It's also on Forgotten Freshness 3. This is Take It. I call myself a learned scholar when it comes to the ICP. Uh, my knowledge of them is quite casual. I know about Juggalos, I know about Fago Soda, Magnets, how do they work, you know, all the basics really. Um, so I can't call myself a fan per se, but gosh dang it Dave, I can't lie to you, I actually kind of like this song. You know, it, it's similar to say Limp Bizkit where I may not be a fan of their oeuvre, but there are certain songs that come across and it's like, this is pretty catchy. So yeah, I kind of dig it. Um, so yeah, the heart wants what the heart wants. And uh, apparently in this case, Dave, the heart wants wicked clowns.
0: Yeah, and I think context is key, isn't it? Like there's a lot of these bands that in a wrestling context, the music really works. And i, I was the same where I probably haven't heard this, me- this song since the time. Because I would have been... Where we are in the podcast now is around the time I started watching Thunder. And um, Insane Clown Bossy showed up about a month ago on the show. And the Deadpool is currently happening before uh, Raven's spectacular departure uh, in the next month or so from from WCW. Um, But I, I was thinking in listening to this, is there a musical act out there that's more synonymous with wrestling where none of their music really is. Like, even though they use this as their theme, I would never... Their music doesn't come up my head when I think of wrestling music in the way that, like, bands like, like you said, Limp Bizkit or Saliva or anything like that, bands that they never got in the ring, they didn't wrestle, but their music is the soundtrack of my wrestling fandom. Whereas these guys actually... Not only wrestle, but stick around for most of the rest of WCW on and off. Um, and I, when I think of Insane Clown Posse, one of the first things after Fago, obviously, I think of is um, is them in wrestling because they are just all over the map. They are really living the dream. I think Bobby Heenan or Tony Schiavone, one of them, says on like during their first match that like when they got their first royalty check when they they signed their record deal, they bought. wrestling ring um so these guys are just like living their dream in 1999 and it is a shrewd bit of business to uh license their music for (laughs) um for wcw uh they're they're a band that are kind of like almost on a kiss level of being able to merchandise themselves the revenues aren't at the same level as kiss but they they know they have a brand and it sells absolutely yeah and as far as them and wrestling goes they had
1: their own promotion for God's sake, like for mm-hmm. many years, Juggalo Champion shit Wrestling, as it was called, that was a thing. And yeah, they were in WCW, they were in WWF, they were in ECW, TNA, ROH. Um, right now, actually, Violent J is in the NWA, right now, as we speak. So yeah, they've been to a lot of places, a lot of big places, and good for them, because they love pro wrestling. This is not like a cash grab. They legitimately want to do this, Dave.
0: Yeah no they, they genuinely do and they're an act that when you see them they are trying and they are enjoying it like we're just at the tail end of ni- 1999 wcw which for music fans you may remember as the summer where they were trying to shoehorn in any musical act they could this is the no summer limit soldiers
1: of, yeah, yeah yeah
0: megadeth just did their their nitro concert and as i said they're using that for they're using um Uh, They have Goldberg's new theme as a Megadeth song. Um, We're starting to do the James Brown gimmick with the cat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kiss, Kiss, of course. Yes, uh, all that. And this is maybe the kind of like the the, maybe the most positive legacy that whole summer has. Because through the dying days of WCW, through their last appearance, like Insane Clown Posse are over. Um, The crowd do enjoy them. Um, They do get into them. One thing I think we should say from a disclaimer point of view, Andrew, is that in spite of listing all the illustrious companies that they worked for through the 90s and 2000s, we should tell everybody they are terrible. (laughs) Uh, As wrestlers, they are awful. They start off awful. And to my memory, I haven't watched the latter days uh, of uh, ICP showing up in wrestling promotions, but I'm pretty sure they remain terrible.
1: Listen, we're trying to be positive here, okay? Because it's <laughs> supposed to be a happy episode, but uh, but but you're right. Yeah, their enthusiasm level um, outweighed their skill sets in the ring, shall we say. Um, kind of like Mongo. You know, yeah. Mongo wanted to wrestle his actual wrestling skills,
0: uh, not quite up to the task, really. I, I think you get you kind of, you allow, I don't know if a pass is the right word, but kind of, when you can tell they're into it and they're actually trying to, you know, roll up their sleeves and help out the company and get involved and stuff. And they really like it. And they're not just collecting a paycheck. Like so many of the actual trained professional wrestlers in the company would be at different stages. You kind of go, you know what? Fair enough. It might be like a slow motion train wreck sometimes, but I cannot fault them for effort. And um. I can't fault them for having like the look and the brand and stuff like that down. And it, it certainly helped out Vampiro in in the company.
1: Mm. Well, as far as the song goes, um, I do love how most of it is not necessarily subtle, because nothing about the ICP is ever subtle. Uh, no. But it, it's, it's more straightforward in a way, more plain, I think. If it was up to me, I would never dare you. If it was up to me, I would rather spare you. If it was up to me, I would try to sway him. Everything is up to him. Everything is up to him. Everything is up to him. It's all up. You have to take it. So it it gets more hyped up in the chorus musically, but overall, it's not over the top, lyrically speaking. And then we get the rap verse. You don't want to see what goes on over here. You don't even want to get near. Shit. If I was you, I'd turn around and back on up. Before your ass gets stuffed, little buster. Trying to mean mug. With that lip flapping, what you thought was going to happen. Turn around, bitch boy, and break off fast before you get that foot in your ass, motherfucker. Now that's the ICP we know and love there, Dave.
0: Come on. Yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to wait a while. They're, they're true, uh, workers because they, they build you up to the high spots. You have to, oh yeah, go through it for a while. You hear them talk about Vampiro in the song beforehand. You're like, okay, 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 and then yeah, you hit this verse from. I'm, I'm assuming it must be Shaggy, of the two of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, 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 that spits here, and yeah, this is exactly what. When you and this might be the longest I've listened to Insane Clown Posse without interruption in my life, (laughs) but this is if you were to ask me beforehand, is like what would an Insane Clown Posse song sound like? This is this is exactly what I'm I'm here for,
1: Mm -hmm. and the song got a lot of use too because this was their theme. It was Vampiros' theme, uh, the Deadpool, the Dark Carnival, and um, according to the liner notes of the album Forgotten Freshness Three, the song was originally about Satan. And watching your friend go to hell and not being able to help him. Everything is up to him. You just have to take it. Uh, him being the devil. And then they give it to Vampiro as a theme song. So they added Vampiro's name to the song to make it fit better. So there you go. Hmm.
0: Yeah, there's like a weird through line in their music. I've I've often heard about religion. And about, you know, they kind of... Um, it, the, the, the back half of their discography is much more transparent about that like this is them being being subtle about <laughs> the devil as you say uh, compared to, to what they would be later um but much like yourself i'm not i uh, i'm not juggalo certified so i ca- i can't speak with with great uh, affection or knowledge about them the main kind of other time outside of wrestling their music has come across my field of view as they did um they did a one off single for jack white's third man records uh a few years ago where it was them rapping over remixed mozart <laughs> and um it's deeply unpleasant uh, <laughs> It's do you think it's going to be two great tastes taste great together it's it's not that it's not that
1: i can only imagine the uh the orange juice and toothpaste combination that is icp and mozart so <laughs> it's
0: deeply troubling
1: yeah yeah but But anyway, uh, last theme here, and we're about to step into your future, Dave. That's right, 2000 WCW. It's coming, my friend. It's coming. And uh, there are plenty of wackety-schmackety gimmicks in 2000 WCW. But we're going to look at this big fella here, that 70s guy, Mike Awesome, with his feathered hair and groovy outfits, man. Mike's theme is by Arch Bacon. Great name. It's from the Match Music Library. This is Sexy Lady. Listen, I may not be an expert when it comes to the ICP, but when it comes to the super sounds of the 70s, I know a thing or two. And as soon as this song started and I heard the pew pew, 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 I clocked it right away. This is Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe by Barry White, except instead of Barry White, they've got a sultry saxophone. And listen, I love a good sax as much as the next guy, but it's hard to replace Barry White, Dave, you know?
0: It is, yeah. We have Barry White at home. This is that's what this theme very much is. I do think it does a great job of conjuring an image of Mike Awesome in a smoky lounge uh, with like a tiny microphone, trying to you know endear himself to some of the local patrons by by singing his uh, his Barry White cover. <laughs> um, I it, it's I have mixed feelings about it because I think it's a theme that works very well for a gimmick that I really wish never existed
1: right yeah I mean the whole thing is just so bizarre because it's Mike Awesome you know it's it's the gladiator six foot six angry and mean and you know he's had Welcome to the Jungle as a theme song before he's had Bruce Dickinson uh, the awesome bomb theme in ECW um, in WCW before this he had the Beautiful People ripoff, and now he's Mr. Shagadelic Groovy 70s dude and I can't tell if It's better or worse than the fat chick thriller gimmick he had before this.
0: But it's certainly memorable, at least. (laughs) Going back and um, kind of digging into his tenure a little bit for this show, the thing that was stark to me was the timeline of like, he debuts and he's already at that 70s guy within six months. uh, And that's via the fat chick thriller. He was the fat chick thriller before this. So within six months, they'd already decided that, you know, Giant Mike Awesome killing people wasn't a the thing they wanted to roll with. Um, there was a very famous early they they tried to rehab him at one stage and have him wrestle Lance Storm for the US title, uh, but it was at a pay-per-view that was in Canada where the normally heel Lance Storm was treated like a god. <laughs> and poor Mike Awesome not only ate the loss, but you know, was booed soundly by the Canadian crowd. Oh. And then, yeah, he has his fat chick thriller bit and then he goes into this and look, I, he was never a man who was comfortable with a microphone in his hand um, and him having to do his kind of lounge lizard, uh, his flirting and his dad jokes when he was in. Um, I, and I can't wait to watch every segment of it, but he he, <laughs> they gave him a talk show. A segment Lava Lamp Lounge, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they had him come in for a pay-per-view on the Partridge Family bus. <laughs> uh, they had Gary Coleman be his second, even though Gary Coleman is distinctly an 80s celebrity. Um, it's Look, it's a good song, but it's a, it's a gimmick that makes me very
1: sad. <laughs> you mentioned the bus. That also bugs me about the gimmick, because the theme song is like this R&B, pseudo-disco-y kind of song, but they gave him a bus based on yeah the partridge family and the partridge family if you didn't see it was a show in the 70s about a family band but their music wasn't disco or r&b it was like soft rock and pop music so if they found a way to make the bus more r&b flavored i guess it would make more sense but as a partridge family bus the two things just don't work together despite both being from the 70s
0: um so yeah i I sure hope someone was fired for that blunder. Yeah. We we were at like a high point of 60s, 70s nostalgia at the end of the 90s, because, you know, you mentioned Austin Powers, there was that 70s show, different bits like that that were cashing in on the 60s, 70s nostalgia and uh, trust wrestling to uh, handle it as weirdly and inconsistently as possible. <laughs> um, with this I can't even remember in hindsight how long the 70s guy gimmick lasts for uh an eternity in my head but it could have been all of just a couple of months
1: i think it was a couple of months and then they switched him over to being team canada mike awesome
0: yeah uh, for the rest of the yeah, WCW, does, yeah. so
1: yeah
0: yeah this is like you want to talk about like on a halloween theme a guy who was legitimately scary as a wrestler like <laughs> it's like this dude might actually like mess you up big time in a in a match you know he's coming off the back of like the incredible Masato tanaka matches in japan and in ecw he was an
1: fmw for god's sake he was yeah he was in street fights and barbed wire matches galore
0: and and he comes into wcw with a huge amount of heat you know because he like in the eyes of many fans betrayed ecw uh for signing for wcw after his his checks bounced and you know i'm not interested in re-legislating all that now but there's momentum you can do like he debuts by attacking and destroying kevin nash and you want to argue the merits of a guy who you need to push him as a big man wrestler and you have him debut attacking maybe one of the only guys in the company that's considerably larger than him but uh there's there's so much you could have done that to end up within six months uh, in the Lava Lamp Lounge is d- astonishing. Even, like, he just speed-ran the WCW model.
1: Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, well, if I can bring up the bus one more time. Um, I've brought this story up before. One of the first wrestling music videos I ever watched was his collection of botches. And one of them was the time when Mike Awesome gave, here he is again, Shaggy 2 Dope, uh, an awesome bomb on the roof of the bus, and then Shaggy started to slide off the roof, and you can see Awesome <laughs> scrambling to grab him, but he's too late, and Shaggy just slides off and falls straight down into concrete. It's it's pretty bad, but it's burning my brain there, Dave.
0: Yeah. He also, you've reminded me there of, there was, I can't remember at which point in all this mess that he also, they tried him with the career killer gimmick?
1: That was uh, before Fat Chick Thriller, I believe. Before. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they had him try to make like oh, when Mike when Mike Awesome competes, he could end your career. So he was doing the thing where like his gimmick match was ambulance matches. And uh I was reading around about it. I think he did 5 ambulance matches on TV and he lost 3 of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. It just wasn't a good time for uh for old Mike Awesome and I know it's it's harping on it a bit too much maybe, but it's Mike Awesome. Like <laughs> it's crazy that he was just given this 70s guy gimmick and the fat chick thriller gimmick and all that it's it's crazy but wcw man that's just the way they went
0: yeah it's like i mean like there was we were getting this gimmick at some point once it enters somebody's head somebody was getting it so we we might we might have at some stage in a like sliding doors reality ended up with like that 70s guy brad armstrong (laughs) or you know lord knows who else but unfortunately it was it was mike that drew the short straw the fat chick thriller Kaz Hayashi, just you never know with these multiverses, Dave. They get pretty wild there. So Yeah. Oh, I'd be I'd be down for it. <laughs> I'd actually like to have seen uh, Shane Douglas get sag- saddled with the, the 70s <laughs> guy gimmick just to see his face. Do 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 cut the fucking music. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh but um but anyway, that's going to do for this episode of Music of the Mad. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Dave, thank you so much for being here. Um, I said earlier this was going to be fun, and this was indeed a lot of fun. So thank you, man.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's made me feel a little bit uh, more uh, optimistic about what I have ahead of me, that there'll be some fun <laughs> to have talking about things like that 70s guy. So thank you so much for having me, and happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah, just keep your head down. You'll get through it okay, I think. Um, <laughs> But um, but any plugs
1: you want to give, go right ahead.
0: Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned at the top, I'm the host of the um, the Days of Thunder podcast on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network that you can find here. Um, uh, on Twitter, we're at WCW Thunderpod. Uh, I'm at the day to Dave. Uh, We basically, every two weeks, um we are going through the entire timeline of wcw by just looking at thunder we don't really dip that often over onto nitro we do the pay-per-views as well we are as i said in the summer of 1999 fresh off uh, one of the most abysmal shows i've ever seen in my life road wild 1999 that uh, forced me to think long and hard about my life choices that led me to do this as a podcast. But <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of fun on there. And, um, you know, it's honestly enjoyable, not only kind of, you know, clowning on the bad stuff, but also trying to find the the gems that maybe we forgot about in all that mess. And, you know, if you like the sound of myself and Lee, try it out on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. And then we also have a Patreon that you can find at alargemanappears.com. Uh, five euro a month gets you at least three bonus podcasts from us uh, where we cover all sorts of stuff like uh, movies good wrestling shows uh, and, and much much more besides absolutely yes uh, anytime i see a really big wrestler
1: show up on a show i just think a large man appears because it's it's force <laughs> of habit at this point and i have you and lead to thank for that uh, dave
0: <laughs> anytime if that's my legacy i'm happy with it.
1: Yes, yes. Well, um, music of the Matt is also part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great shows on there at VoicesofWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at music of the mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T Rich. Also follow the show on Blue Sky at music of the Matt, and follow me on Blue Sky there at just Andrew on Blue Sky. Voices of dot com slash Discord for all discussions and comments voicesofwrestling.com slash donate for any donations. I'll uh, Just click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Matt. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the Voices of Wrestling YouTube page, and many other places. Uh, Dave, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Thank you. All right, for Dave Ryan, I'm Andrew Rich. Happy Halloween, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Matt. Take care,
0: guys. Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Uh, 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 uh. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.